Welcome to Ghost of a Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Lignato. I'm an astrologer, psychic medium, and animal communicator, and I'm going to give you your weekly horoscope and no bullshit mystical advice for living your very best life. Welcome back to Ghost of a Podcast. I'm very excited to be joined by Kat today. Uh, Kat, you wrote in an amazing question. So why don't you just let me know what you want to talk about and we will we will dive right in. Thank you, Jessica. It's great to be here. So I felt inspired to write to you after I was doing a three-day intensive first aid training course for my work. I work in an arts institution, so everyone comes in. And it was really important for me to know how to do first aid training. And it brought up so much anxiety. And I felt so stupid. I felt like I was that child in school all over again. I'm a 35-year-old adult and I felt like being a little girl in school, bilingual, having a special teacher coming in to take me out of the classroom. And I had this moment where I thought, how can I learn these, these tools, these skills that can save a life? Surely I must be capable. And does me being neurodiverse how does it affect me? And can astrology help me with this? Could my chart say anything about my dyslexia, my dyspraxia and my ADD symptoms? And how can I work with it in order to be, you know, a th- I want to be a thriving being that can continue to learn because mm-hmm. it's really sad not being able to learn. You know, I had a grandmother that didn't read or write, you know, she was born in dictatorship and a really poor family. So there's something about learning that feels really important to me. Yeah. Let's get into it. There's a lot too. And I want to just name, you were born June 30th, 1986 in London, UK at 3.45 PM. I want to ask a question before we begin. So you named ADD, dyslexia, and one other thing that I didn't quite catch. It was dyspraxia. And what is that? I don't really fully understand either. I mean, Mm. that's the the issue was um, when I was assessed and they diagnosed me as dyslexic, they then said, oh, she also has these symptoms of dyspraxia. But no one, I tried to talk to my GP about it and I don't know if I would have to maybe take a private health direction in order to get awareness around how is this affecting me and where because when you read up on like the NHS dyspraxia symptoms it says a lot about motor coordination Hmm. um, but it's quite vague so I don't know how how it affects me I know that I was very clumsy um, and not very good at coordination that's it but are you still clumsy not as much but yeah. not quick to learn. But then that can also be a very dyslexic thing that yeah. it, it will take me a longer time to learn. Yeah. It can also be ADD depending on, you know, on a variety of things. So, okay. So we're not really kind of working with that part of the diagnosis as much because it sounds like it's not at least consciously, you don't see symptoms of it clearly. Is that right? Yeah. Is that, am I hearing that right? Okay. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack here neurodivergent is a very big umbrella. It's a massive umbrella. And it seems like more and more bodies are huddled underneath that umbrella these days. Right. Exactly. There are so many reasons why, and you know, that's for another conversation, but as an astrologer, sometimes when I look at people's birth charts and I, you know, talk to them about the diagnoses they've been given, I'm like, Oh, it's this aspect in your birth chart. And that makes sense. And that can be worked with. And sometimes I, see that diagnoses are validating and they're life affirming and they give you 
community and structure and resources and all this stuff. And sometimes I have seen people actually be harmed by these diagnoses because you feel penned in. And while it might be technically true, it might not be constructive. So I just want to kind of like acknowledge all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then pull back to say, when we are looking in a, in the birth chart for how your brain operates. So let me reframe that, how your mind operates, how you process data, how you analyze things, how you learn, how you listen, how you communicate. We look to Mercury, right? Mm. And in your chart, you've got Mercury at the top of the chart. It's not the highest planet, but it's close. It's at the top of the chart in the ninth house in Leo. And generally when we've got Mercury in the ninth house, there is this emphasis on intelligence and higher learning as being really important. And that can come from the childhood in really traumatic ways or really encouraging ways in your chart, because Mercury is squared to Pluto. I imagine it came from really rough ways for you. And some of that is what you even described in your question is, you know, your grandmother couldn't read. I assume that that, and that's your mom's mom. Yeah. And both my parents, that was my mom's mom and both my parents I mean, I can't remember my dad, but I know that my mom left school really young. I mean, mm-hmm. she was a child and working. So yeah, yeah, yeah a lot of trauma not, around that. But they're really, they're very smart people, eh? Yeah. Yeah. They're not, they were not dumb people. They were hardworking people. Yeah. And you say were, are they past? <laughs> my grandmother has passed. Yeah. And I never got to meet my dad's parents because they died when he was 19. Oh, wow. And my mom, yeah. And my mom is she has a lot of health issues and and I think that the medication that she takes perhaps might blur a lot of her judgment mm-hmm. um I think it does I think it fogs her brain a bit so she's not as present as I think she would like to be or could be and my father has passed so I think that maybe during that time in the last sort of decade things have been really tough mm, I'm sorry that's a lot and I'm going to acknowledge all that stuff. And, you know, time permitting, we can kind of come to that. But this question you're asking, I I really am hearing how important it is. So let's go in. Mercury in Leo. Let's start with that. Mercury is a mobile planet. The mind is supposed to be flexible and receptive and all these things, right? Leo, not so much. Leo is a fixed fire sign. So there's a way that works for you to learn. Uh, There are conditions where you, you have an easier time, a much easier time hearing what people are saying and communicating, like speaking your mind. And then there are circumstances where that just doesn't work. And that's pretty consistent with having Mercury in a fixed sign, right? Mm. Um, Now that can pretty easily play into these diagnoses, but I'm going to stay away from the diagnoses for this moment and just say that with Mercury and Leo, regardless of everything else, cultivating self-awareness about what does and doesn't work is really helpful so that you can be like, okay, so I know I'm in a group class where there's a lot of information coming at me quickly. And I'm also social, like I'm in a, I'm in a social situation. That's not my ideal setup for learning. If you can kind of have that self-acceptance and know that that is just how your learning style works. From my perspective, that can be really empowering because then you don't have to feel like, oh, I'm failing or I'm not smart or I can't learn. It's, this is not a situation that sets me up for success. And so then you can do other things to support your learning needs in a situation like that. Again, we can talk about that a little bit more in a moment, but this is where things get really complicated for you. 
you have a Pluto conjunction to the ascendant and what little you've shared of your family history already. Yeah, that is all pretty classic of the Pluto conjunction to the ascendant in Scorpio. For you, how you present yourself to other people, how people uh, perceive you and engage with you is something you're really sensitive to. And it can be really hard when you feel like you don't uh, fit in or match other people's expectations. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And of course, because you've got a Scorpio rising and Pluto conjunction to your Scorpio rising. uh, Yeah. People misinterpret you for sure. For sure. People project all manner of shit upon you. And they may think you're being angry when you're actually just listening. They may think you're, you know, being defensive when you're being inquisitive. Like there's a way that you actually do best when you're very direct and the world is not well suited to that all the time. Like people have a really hard time with really direct, largely because people don't know how to be direct, I think. Um, So when others are direct with them, it can feel assaulting. This Mercury in your chart is squared to the ascendant and Pluto. And so... The way that you process data, whether it's learning or communicating, is in many ways wrapped up in these identity issues that you have about how you present yourself to others and how you're received. If your chart was written in a slightly different way, you might have the you know cognitive and learning stuff that you have and be like, fuck it, I'm different. That's it. This Pluto dynamic in your chart is not quick to be chill about not being able to like work well with others and not be able to get your thoughts across in a way that you really want. Does, does this make sense so far? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Do any questions emerge so far? Oh, I'm just like taking it all in. Yeah. yeah. I'm feeling a sense of relief to kind of be, yeah. It's just amazing that you can pick up on all of this. Cause I feel like, Oh yes, it's here. You <laughs> get it. It's, it is here. And, and on top of it all, You've got Saturn in the first house and, you know, it's not forming a hard aspect to any of these things, but it is a trine to Mercury. And so it strengthens this feeling of like, I just want to get along. Like, I don't want to stand out. Saturn in the first does not want to stand out. It does not want to be seen as difficult um, or have special needs in any way. And so there's a way that you, I imagine, work hard to take care of everything on your own. Like you have this hypervigilance with Saturn in the first trying to that Mercury. And you think, well, if I, if I keep my head down, if I try harder, then I should be able to sort this out on my own. Honestly, you often can. You often can. But at what cost, I ask you? And I imagine the cost is your mental health, a feeling of kind of isolation and a feeling of exhaustion from having kind of run yourself so hard in order to keep up. Yeah, you get it. Yeah, <laughs> You've got yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. And so the irony is you're actually very good at keeping up. You're very intelligent. That's actually, I think, part of your problem, if I'm being honest, is that your brain is scanning for details all the time. You're not just scanning for data. You're scanning for details. You're pulling in so many details that it can be hard to, um, sometimes it can be hard to stay on topic, right? Because you're tracking all these details. And again, especially with people. So like learning in groups can be tricky for you because if somebody's like sitting around kind of like with a a nervous tick, it can really throw you off your game, you know, because you're just tracking the damn tick or whatever it is. 
And honestly, like so many of us have nervous tics. So no shame on those with the nervous tics that are driving you <laughs> to distraction, but you know, um, it is what it is. So for you, you're tracking so many details and you're synthesizing so much information all the time, because again, Mercury squared to Pluto does that, that it's hard for you to stay centered or grounded around what am I trying to learn? Because you could learn lots of things all the time, but what am I trying to learn? So if we come back to, uh, it was like a CPR class that you did, eh? It was, it was CPR and it was a basic first aid for, you know, like how to tell the difference between someone having a stroke or, you know, having heat exhaustion and, you know, being able to discern the differences between them. So life or death stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which of course, whenever we're talking about life or death stuff, we look to Pluto, right? So this was the perfect storm (laughs) for you to get triggered because you're like, it's not just that I'm not learning or I, I feel frustrated by how I'm learning, but if I fuck this up, someone could die. Like this is like your nightmare situation, honestly. So it's actually perfect. We got to do a reading immediately after this class occurred. And would you say that you actually learned the information? Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. No, she did say, don't overthink this. And there were just, there, there are so many acronyms for just general first aid, like Gridor and all these other things. And everyone knew how to say, oh, blah, 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 blah. And I was just like, felt frozen, even though I got the gist of it, even though mm-hmm. I, I knew, yeah, this is for, you know, recording. And like, I know that in the heat of the moment, you just do it and you know how to do it and it just comes. But I, I, I just felt very small, you know, not being able to say these words and the way all the other people were. And it was, yeah, I did, I did think, gosh, you know, I can't help anyone. And I know that's not true, but that's what the trigger right. sort of brought up for me. Right. Right. And I'm glad you used the word trigger because you had referenced how it felt like high school, like this, this is not your first rodeo with being in a situation. And in regards to high school, you passed you know I I left you know I left it was a really I mean I think I do feel quite emotional talking about it but it's not a bad thing because I think it's good um so I have a sibling who is 12 years older than me so um they were born in 1974 and they have battled with um they're okay for me to share this by the way that this is something that we had discussed beforehand but they've battled with um drug addiction Mm. for a very very long time and they'd moved back home and I was 15 and they were going through what they were going through. And we all sort of split apart, you know, like my dad found his mechanism. My mom found her mechanism and my brother found his mechanism. And then I found my mechanism, which was a boyfriend first Mm. love and, and not being able to focus on, on studies. And I just thought, well, I have love, you know, I don't need anything else. And yeah, I left kind of just before I turned 16 and the law is different now. This is when, you know, Tony Blair was in power in that Mm -hmm. time. Uh, I can't remember the year, but um, you could leave school at the age of 16. And I think I did have one teacher that was like, Kat, come in, please. I know you can do your art. I know you can do your English. Just come in and do it. And I was like, I don't want to do it, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's been my thing. Just disappear, just leave, just go. Yeah. Okay. So let's stay with this for a moment. So, but when you were in school Mm -hmm. how were your grades not great I mean I yeah like I yeah I passed and I think in in the UK you kind of you I think you have to be in a really bad position not to pass I I did yeah so I did pass but 
I would either do really, really well. There'd be moments where people would go, you're doing so well, Kat, and especially in certain subjects. Mm -hmm. And then other stuff, I just didn't care. And then I had definitely had some acting out behavioral issues and would have to kind of be put in with the sort of naughty girls. Yeah. You know, it was an old girl school. It was an all girl school. Okay. Yeah. I was going to be like, okay, naughty girl. Sure. Okay. <laughs> no, um, not that, not no sexual like a bad movie, but now I get what you're saying. You know, I, get what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, okay. So, so we're pulling on lots of things and let me just acknowledge first, you've got a moon in Aries and it is conjunct your North node and also conjunct your descendant. So uh, impatient check, easy to anger when you don't feel like you're being seen and you don't feel like your relationships are working check strong emotions. Uh, yeah. Check. So you didn't need any complexity in your family life in order to have all of that. So, so for whatever that's worth, you know, okay. that is related to the learning stuff, but it's actually also just, yeah, you got an Aries moon. What are you going to do about it? And <laughs> your Aries moon is squared to your Mars and Capricorn. So when things piss you off, yeah, you fight or you flight. That's what you do. And because so many of us are nurtured to believe that fighting is bad, and also it can be very bad if we don't fight fair, flight can seem like a way of avoiding conflict when in fact, running away from things often is just a different way of engaging with conflict, right? It's turning the conflict within instead of fighting with circumstances or family or whatever it is. But I want to just tell you why I was asking this question. Your birth chart tells me that you're very smart. Uh, you're very resourceful. Now, I do not see academia, whether it's like high school or college, as a great measure of intelligence. It's it, it can be for some people with certain kinds of learning, but just for whatever it's worth, like I really don't like school. <laughs> so that yeah. does cl- color my perspective here because when someone tells me like, oh, I did well at things I liked and I didn't do well at things I didn't like, all I hear is like, oh, you're smart. You're a smart person because to me, that's what smart people do. It's like, why should I fuck with this if I don't like this? To me, that seems like a smart way of being. And I know conventionally that is not considered, but here's what I see about you. And then I'm going to have you like kind of ask me questions and point me in the direction of what will be constructive. Because what I see for you is that when you set yourself to learning something, you always learn the thing. You don't always learn it the way other people do. You might not learn it as quickly as you like, but I don't see that you have endeavored to learn many things and not been able to learn those things. Your capacity for understanding is incredibly strong. So none of this is about your capacity to learn or your intelligence. It's more about your willingness and habits or capacity for accepting yourself so that you can be like, oh yeah, this does work for me. And therefore I'm more likely to thrive here, or this doesn't work for me. And I'm going to have to like, you know, figure out ways to accommodate myself. I personally am not great with details. You know, I've got a lot of Aquarius stuff in my chart. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm not great at details. Who cares? Very Aquarian of me. Like it doesn't matter, but you've got that Leo Mercury. So you're like, oh, it does matter. If it matters to other people, it does matter. And I want to share with you that the acronyms for things have nothing to do with actually using those skills. Hmm. They, They have to do with the admin around it or the social component of how you communicate about it. Right. But if we distill, what is the purpose of what you're here to learn? Mm. And I, I want to encourage you to do this moving forward. If you, if you can remember to like, what is the purpose of what I'm meant to learn? What's actually important in this. And you give yourself that reminder of this is what I'm here to learn. 
then when you don't hold on to the acronyms that everyone else seems to be holding on to, you'll be like, okay, well, that's annoying. And maybe it even makes me feel bad, but it's not actually getting in the way of me learning what's important. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It really does make sense. And and it's really about starting with self-acceptance instead of starting with what's my learning skill or, you know, how do I work with X diagnosis? And again, I don't, I mean, I don't know because I'm not a mental health part, like I'm not a therapist or anything. So I don't really know if what I'm saying is consistent with the advice you would be given by somebody who is an expert in those diagnoses, Mm. but based on your birth chart, when you allow yourself to refine your goals of what you're learning or how you're going to show up or engage with people or information, and you refine those goals to one to three things, Mm. one to three things, it becomes much easier for your mind to not, I'm not going to say like stay focused because focus actually isn't your problem. I, I mean, you're very focused. It's to have a constructive focus, right? It's yeah. to have a focus on the things that matter because what happened the other day in the class is your focus went to, why am I not keeping up with these people in the way that they're keeping up? Your focus went to the thing that was causing you harm instead of helping you learn or stay present. Hmm. And that's that Pluto placement. If you've listened to Ghost, then you've heard me say this a million times, but that Pluto placement can have you focusing on your strongest feeling instead of your wisest feeling. And mm-hmm. so having that kind of ambition of like, what's the one to three things I'm here to learn or I'm here to do, because this could apply to social situations as much as it could to learning situations that can empower you to be like, okay, I'm actually not here to compare myself to others. I'm not here to figure out why I'm not learning acronyms easily. I'm here actually to just learn how to like breathe air into someone's lungs or recognize the difference between heat stroke and, and uh, a stroke stroke. So I want to just like pause and see, I know you have this like overall question about your learning style in the context of your neurodivergence. And I want to make sure I'm actually answering that or speaking to that. Am I? And let me know if you have any kind of like questions around it or connected to it. I think what you were saying about refining my goals mm-hmm. really spoke to me because I did, I did, I did go to university in the end and I did a creative arts degree and I would like to do a master's. And I mm-hmm. think this is why, but the, 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 the MA that I'm applying for is really creative and there's a lot more conversation around everyone learning differently. And because it's a creative writing MA, there's a lot more space for me to really refine my voice and because I just felt like this is all too much, you know, opportunities come. It's like saying, oh yeah, here's an amazing dinner, but I have no teeth. I can't chew. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like opportunities were coming, but I didn't feel like I had the foundation to deal with those opportunities. It didn't yeah. feel good in my, and like, as I've been, you know, doing the work, I feel like I'm trying to build that foundation within myself. So here, let's go back to your ninth house, because you're talking to me about going back to university. And here's the thing. I gave you my little spiel about how much I fucking hate school, (laughs) because I have to give that to you before I tell you that this Mercury placement, so not just having Mercury in the ninth house, but having Mercury in the ninth house square to Pluto, unfortunately, means you will thrive in higher education and in academia, not thrive like, oh, (laughs) this is 
chill. Like some people go to university as a way to escape the world and to just like, you know, take a break and focus on their art process. That's not you. You are looking to substantiate yourself through the institution of higher learning for better or worse. Right. Yes. I have given you like my perspective on education because I can, I can wax poetic about you don't have to do that. And, you know, all my counterculture values as an Aquarius Mercury person. But that was also school school, which is awful, you know? Yes. It's, it's awful. High school. Yeah. It's all awful. I mean, school can be pretty awful. However, my guess is it will be very difficult and you will love it. And it will give you so much value because for you, Having a space where you can dig and dig and dig and dig into a thing is it's your happy place. And because we're talking about Mercury square to Pluto, your happy place is painful. (laughs) Like your happy place is a little bit of struggle. And the question isn't how can you have a lack of struggle? I mean, that would be cool. But what I'm more excited about for you is how can you see that struggle as striving? and Mm. excavating and healing it's more about your mercury is a little adventurer who is like a captain of a ship it is a captain of a ship and pluto is the waters and the waters are choppy but you're not going to stop being on the ship or stop being the captain just because it's choppy waters and so your writing practice your creative journey your relationship to school and learning in general is unlikely to be a super straight line and it doesn't need to be. It's more about it being an authentic creative process, which includes struggle and allowing yourself to be with that. I know so many people hear the word struggle and they're like, oh, that's bad. Struggle is bad. But I would like you to share with me a single piece of art a single bit of activism, a single bit of anything worth worth anything that didn't involve some measure of struggle. And even when as creatives, we create something and it just flows straight out of us and there's no struggle. Generally, there's struggle behind that one experience that brought us to a place where that one piece flowed, right? So to me, struggle isn't bad. Struggle is the path. If we can remove judgment from that, struggle, then it just becomes, you know, the choppy water. It doesn't become like the choppy water means something is wrong or the choppy water means something is wrong with me. Yeah, absolutely. Because when I was younger, if it was, if anything was too much, you know, my dad used to say this thing, which is ridiculous. He'd say, if you don't like it, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, don't do it, whatever. (laughs) And I think I got that a bit that got a bit confusing in my brain I'm like, well I don't want to do it you know like I'm gonna mm-hmm. bunk off school and just be on my own and I don't want to be with that you know and and I now as I'm you know an adult there are things where I like I know I don't I know it doesn't feel good and you talk a lot about this mm-hmm. it doesn't feel good how can I behave well even when I feel bad I think mm-hmm. I can't so you say something similar yeah, but when I, I always yeah, find that it. really helpful yeah and to kind of can I stay with this uncomfortable feeling and know that it's not going to kill me and that I'm not dying and it doesn't mean that I'm worthless because it brings up such 
terror in me like mm. to the point of like fetal position crying mm. <laughs> i don't know if this is aries moon i don't know what the it's hell that it pluto. it's that pluto it's the pluto on the rise all the words you're <laughs> using are like literal keywords in a textbook of pluto like it's you're in the fetal position it's the flight or fight you feel like you're dying yeah that pluto shit right there and yeah it's because your flight or fight mechanisms are so well developed and some of that is lived experience a lot of that is epigenetic it's inherited that when you start to see any evidence of this could turn against me your flight or fight mechanisms your survival mechanisms say okay then we got we got to fucking change things we got to get out of here some way or another so that's again fight or flight that's fetal position or just stop engaging the reality is your fight is good so this is where i wonder do you get mad at people that is a great question okay in general i mean i'm asking the the umbrella like do you experience anger do you express anger oh it's a complicated one um I have a hard time with anger. A couple of years ago, I remember having to fight for something and I, I had to stand up to a situation and, it, and I did it and I had to leave. But then the aftermath of it is exhausting. Yeah. Like I feel depleted and, it, and it, I, it was almost like it was too much. I wasn't really stable. You know, when you talk about the choppy waters, I kind mm-hmm. of see that as someone having to navigate a boat under these extreme conditions and that I can see myself learning how to do that with these extreme emotions, because it was like the emotions is too much and I'm no longer in control. Mm -hmm. And then it all comes out and then I want to die. And then I'm so depressed and then energy has gone for a really long time. So here we go. We got to get into this for a minute here because listen, you have a Mars moon square in your birth chart and you've got this Pluto on the rise. You know, we're talking about your survival mechanisms it seems like you always go to flight. I'm going to leave. I'm going to shut down fetal position. And that means your survival mechanisms have one move that they're comfortable with. And that would only be the case if you have a embedded belief that fight is bad and flight is good. This is going to seem like it's taking you sideways and like off topic, but I'm going to give you very annoying advice practice uh activating your anger in small safe ways because believe it or not it is linked to your learning stuff and it's because does that make sense yeah it makes complete sense Yeah. yeah it's because in situations like you were the other day when you were you know learning in this group instead of being like this is frustrating you know, I am, I am annoyed by this room of people who have such an easy time uh, learning acronyms or whatever it was. You went to what's wrong with me. And then it's defeat and depleted, right? In that kind of situation, it would actually be pretty cool if you had the ability to be like, these people are annoying me. I am annoyed by the situation I'm in. Not because I'm trying to get you to be mad at people all day long, but because you were annoyed with the people because it was an annoying setup. You were learning something and it was just annoying for you. Anger doesn't mean rage or punishment or abuse. It can, you know, that's maladjusted anger, but having the ability to experience agitation and anger is empowering. The way I often think about it 
it's like, you know, when you were a kid in a swimming pool and you would like swim laps and you would take, use your feet to push off uh, a wall. So you would swim faster than your sibling or the kid in the pool with you. That's anger. That's like the healthy, happy part of anger. We push off of our anger and it can embolden us to access our ego energies in a healthy way. And that's something that it sounds like you really are struggling with when it comes to learning situations, your ego energies aren't there because if they were there, you'd be more irritated and irritated is actually not a bad thing. It's not awesome, but it's better than demoralized. I mean, in my book anyways, whether it's better or worse, it might be more honest. Something you've probably heard me say before, but I will say again a million times is when we don't properly label our emotions, when we don't understand what they are, when we do the best things to take care of them, if we're kind of treating them in the wrong way because we've misunderstood what they are inherently, it doesn't work. If we even go back to 15, 16 year old you who ended up leaving high school, so much of what you had going on at home was probably really frustrating. It was sad and all those things, but I imagine you are furious. You are pissed off. And so a great place to redirect those energies is sex and love dating because it's passion. It's just like a safer way of experiencing passion. When you have an outlet for passionate, intense, basically I'm talking about Martian feelings, right? Then you have more options. And that's really what it comes down to is having more options so that you, you can find more ways of supporting yourself. So a good place to start. Do you like dancing? I love dancing. Okay, cool. Good. That's very good for you. A good place to start is dancing, but like, not like gentle swaying. We're not doing that. We're like leaning into angry music kind of dancing and ideally um, alone so that you don't have to feel self-conscious or like how it's affecting other people. Another <laughs> because it's going to get scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get, get weird. I want to encourage you to get weird because the, there's this part of you that really feels. Now, I should pull back to say the highest planet in your chart is Venus, and Venus at the top of the chart. So, yeah, you're always going to refer back to how is this affecting other people? What do other people think? Is this, is this like palatable for others? And so, I want to like again encourage you to do things in ways where you're doing it for yourself. You're doing it for your experience of it. I'm not encouraging you to walk around being like a selfish person. (laughs) You know, I'm encouraging you to find spaces that feel safe where you can do things for yourself because you're always going to have Saturn in the first and Venus at the top of the chart. In other words, you're always going to care what other people think. You're always going to be aware of the impact you're having on your environment. And that is not bad or good. It's you. And it's something to embrace and accept about yourself. And therefore, that means when you're trying to learn something that is challenging for you, whether it's experiencing anger or like learning content that you feel self-conscious around, your learning style is actually like you do better alone or in a pretty contained environment. That, that yeah. makes sense to you, eh? Yeah, absolutely. And for the master's program, I'm guessing it's a small group, eh? Yeah. Great. It's small. And then you, you do some exercises together, but, but then a lot of it is self-motivated. I can do it at home. That's where you thrive. Yeah. That's where you thrive. You do really well alone because you are motivated and it's just writing. Is that correct? Did I hear that? Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, I did. I, I also used to make visual work, but I did my degree in photography, but I ended up just kind of 
being guided to write and then I was blocked for a really long time and I even had a studio in my late 20s and I just would go there and I just couldn't get in the swing of it and now I've realized oh I actually read more and write more when I wake up have a cup of tea and just get into bed like I don't need the the kind of camaraderie as much as I thought I did because in art school they're very a lot of emphasis on crits and those conversations are really important and I do get a lot from talking to people but I feel like I can create more and read more when I'm on my own yeah it's Pluto let me tell you about it because the way that Pluto thrives is I always okay so when I think of Pluto I often will think of a Japanese sunken tub have you ever been in one of those I have seen them. I've never been in one, unfortunately. They are delightful. May you get your body in one one day. It is <laughs> super narrow and super deep, right? It's a sunken tub. And that's so Plutonian. It's this like narrow scope of focus that goes incredibly deep. And so when there are distractions, whether it's environmental distractions or people even like sound smells, it can really throw off the focus that Pluto wants you to have. So yeah, writing from bed, do you live with other people or alone? I moved back home. So at the moment, it's me upstairs and my sibling downstairs and my mom's in Portugal. So it's actually much better with just the two of us. Much, much, much better. And it's your sibling, the elder one, eh? Yeah. Yeah. And are they, are they doing okay now? Yeah, I mean, they're in, um, you know, they're suffering from a very deep depression mm-hmm. and they tried everything um, in the last sort of, you know, 20 years. They've done all different forms of treatments. And at the moment, the, what's working for him is having, he is on a methadone script. Mm. And so he's, he kind of feels like, okay, well, I'm not using, you yeah. know, it's been a few years and it's, he's never gone this long without it. And we did talk about it today because I was telling him about you and, because he was saying, oh, I don't know what to do because I feel like, you know, I'm not using, but I'm, the system don't know what to do with him. Cause it's like, well, you're still needing methadone to survive. But, you know, I said, you just go slow, you know, I agree with that completely. Will you say his full name? Let me look at him energetically for a moment. In Portuguese. Mm -hmm. um, So he also has an issue with rage, anger. Yeah, but he just doesn't express it as much. I think it's all inside. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. You express more anger than he does? Wow. That's that's something. Okay. That's that says something. Okay. Yeah. He's he's pissed. He's so angry. He's so angry. And it's so this is something that I see with both of you. I'm not surprised you ended up living together and how linked you are. Again, Mercury, it governs our siblings also. So all the stuff we're talking about from your sibling to your learning style, yeah, all of it's Mercury, which is in writing. That's all Mercury. It's really interesting. When I look at him, I mean, he's just got this fire in his belly and it much like you, although of course, very differently than you. And for a lot of reasons, when he doesn't express and experiences anger, it becomes demoralization, depression, exhaustion. And I think that so much of his substance use over time has been trying to self-medicate how out of control he feels in part in response to his own anger. Was there violence in your early childhood? Yeah, so my, he experienced it more than, than me because we have such a big age gap, but I think he saw a lot more anger from my father. So my dad was 19 when he had him and my mom was 17. And I, you know, I was told that my dad was 
violent with my mom and that Mm -hmm. yeah and like had a lot of really bad things that my dad had done to my mom and that when I was born he changed and he didn't drink whiskey anymore and he wasn't as violent but like both of my parents were uh, were very like in a way it's almost like me and George could not be angry (laughs) it's like right because like with me it was like you're angry you're gonna get a slap across your face and it Mm. was like quite scary and I felt like for a, for a time I was a punching bag, mm. but then also my mom was incredibly loving. So it was really complicated, that kind of dynamic. But my dad was very kind of alpha, you know, yeah. very like macho and mustache and, you know, so George compared to, to him, I don't think was ever, we were never really allowed to be bigger than our parents. Well, it right. felt like that. That's my own judgment. You know, I don't uh, know if that you're again, really accurately describing what I see as well. Um, yeah. You were allowed to be a lot of things, but it was better for you to fail than for you to fight back or to take up too much space. That is shown in your chart. And I think that for your brother, things were much worse. And also the pressure that your parents placed on him as a guy um, were different than what was placed on you. And he's actually like a really, he is a gentle guy and he's a different kind of man than your father was in pretty much every way. Yeah. But he does experience rage. And, you know, and I didn't because it's so off topic of, you know, what we originally were talking about. I didn't want to bring up the abuse stuff that I do see in your chart um, at the beginning, because again, it's it felt like it was a bit off topic. But the more that we get into it, the more that it becomes really clear that it's not off topic because we're talking about why you can't experience anger, why your flight or fight mechanisms are so on, like 100% on 100% of the time. And how in both your life and in your brother's life, that has played itself out. And, you know, you're very brave. I mean, I imagine that you don't always believe that, but everyone who actually knows you knows how brave you are because you're scared of shit and you do it anyways. You think because you're scared, that means you're not brave. But the fact that you're scared and you do it anyways, uh, yeah, that's what bravery is, you know. And your brother, he's got more of a struggle trying to contain himself. And so he doesn't let himself do things as a result. His flight or fight mechanism is stay silent, stay still, stay still, don't move, don't change anything too rapidly. And there's like a, you know, we could spend a lot of time on that. But I think he would probably, and I'm not, you know, able to counsel him and all that kind of stuff, but a movement-based therapy would be really good for him. I don't know if he's ever done any kind of like Tai Chi. I don't think so. No, I think this is really, really helpful, Jessica. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Yeah, okay. No, this is so helpful because good. he asked me, cause he was like, could you ask us something about me? And I was like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, this is, I would say like a safe place to start might be like, you know, doing a Tai Chi class with a lot of old people, a lot of old mm. people do Tai Chi, you know, yeah. uh, they'll do the park, <laughs> stuff like that. That would be a safe place for him to start to work with the energy of his body. He, does he also like dancing? I don't, I don't know. I don't either. <laughs> I feel like so. what I would ideally want to do is to encourage him to do various physical things again, start with Tai Chi, maybe do some sort of martial art that is not combat focused and eventually to play with capoeira. Have you heard of Uh this? Yeah. Yeah. It's like dance combat, (laughs) you know? Yeah. It's like sneak attack, 
learning to work with anger in a more playful way. I wouldn't encourage him to start there. Although I'd love for you to go to a class. Um, (laughs) I think that would work for you. I also think a self-defense class with all all women in it would be a great move for you. You know, those can be like a one-off or like doing it for a month or whatever, because a lot of times self-defense classes for women will not just be about the moves, but they hold a container for the emotions that come up. And you, I mean, if I was queen of the world, I would have you learn how to kick ass and not bother with taking names, just kick ass because it would give you so much more access to your own energy and show you that you are not your parents. You are not a victim and you are not a perpetrator. You're a messy human. And there's something that you've been protecting yourself from that you fear is true within yourself. That is again, inherited from family that the more you actively engage with it, the more you will have evidence that you don't need to fear yourself as much. And the exact same thing can be said for your brother. The difference is he's much older and he's done such a thorough job of kind of, you ever see dirty dancing? Yeah. Okay. So he's done such a thorough job of putting baby in a corner, you know, (laughs) that um, it'll take more work for him to come out of that corner. You're like in the Patrick Swayze dance where you're like, no one puts baby in a corner, but maybe someone does, but maybe someone doesn't like you're back and forth. You're like near the corner, but you're not in the corner, you've been in the corner for a long time. You know, I would have been so sad if I had to figure out a different way to say that. <laughs> no, I get it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. My pleasure. My pleasure. Anytime, anytime. So that's, it's going to be a different path for the two of you, but hold on. Say your full name out loud for me. Uh, in Portuguese or in English? Uh, first Portuguese, then English. Catarina Alexandra Marques Feliciano and Catarina Alexandra Marquez Feliciano. Do you like, you're still in London, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you like it there? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's not a great culture for you. It's hard. It's difficult. I'm the only one of my family that was born here. Mm. Um it's really tough when you don't have a stable, I mean, I'm home, but it's not easy. It's not an easy space to be in. It's quite a hard place to be in and um, in a really gentrified area. So the areas really change like most places in the mm-hmm. world, but it kind of feels like people around me. And I know I'm comparing here, but sure. you know, they all have their parents to help them and support them and set up a life. And I can't quite seem to... Mm-hmm. I'm still kind of here and I'm not sure if I'm being dragged down or I need to just, I need to come mm. back to then really get out. Cause every time I try to leave, I come back. Okay. So there's, there's, there's pieces, there's pieces. The house itself mm-hmm. is one of the few and most supportive things that I see that you have from your parents. Like not to say oh, that yeah. your mom hasn't been really supportive in certain ways, but I hear what you're saying, but I want to start with the foundation of that moon North node conjunction. Mm-hmm. The house itself is a gift. It's a a support. And so let yourself have that. Let yourself have that. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. And it's easy to miss, right? Because of all the things you're naming. But this is a gift to receive and to lean into it, you know, like be lazy with it sometimes, whatever, you know, you don't have to work so hard around it. Now, the other thing is I got to ask, do you have Portuguese community, like peers? Um. 
it's not this is another thing when I went into five years ago when I went into therapy this woman said to me oh you're suffering from diaspora and she Mm. said that you need to find your community and I have now I have a really sweet friend who's queer and Portuguese like really lovely but you know they're doing their thing I'm doing my thing Mm -hmm. and you know London's so expensive and tiring that and I'm pick up on so much that I end up feeling really exhausted so I've been probably a bit more introverted recently mm-hmm. uh, and especially with COVID and everything. Uh, yeah. But I, I find it quite difficult to fully engage with the Portuguese community in London. Yeah. Let me throw some shit at you here. Okay. So first of all, you are introverted. So you said I've been more introverted, but you have a sun, Neptune opposition. You've got Pluto on the rise, Mercury square to it. Yes, you've got Venus at the top of your chart. Yes, you've got an Aries moon. So when you like socializing, it's awesome, but it always costs you. You are by nature, somebody who does really well operating from bed for periods of time and you need recovery time from socializing. And that's again, just your nature. Now, the other thing I'll say is it is hard to make friends at any age, but certainly as an adult. And I do see that some of what you're speaking to by like, kind of like looking around you in the communities around you is you're just not seeing yourself reflected. And it's not just around like people's parents or whatever it is. It's, it's cultural, you know, it is cultural. And I think it's really important for those of us who live in melting pot places to Mm. not allow it to melt our own cultural experience and identities, even when those cultural experiences are actually really traumatic. And I think it's something that happens, right? Is we kind of like distance ourselves or we don't make the effort to find people who are from similar cultures or the same culture. I might be just suggesting a unicorn idea, AKA something that doesn't exist. So we'll see. But I wonder if you could find some nerds, even online who want to create a writing group who are like Portuguese writers. That's a great idea. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) It wouldn't have to be like, we have to have everything in common and like be friends because, oh my God, how does an adult make friends? It's very difficult, but writing groups are things that you actually do really well with, especially if you're not meeting in person, if instead you're like going off and you're writing and then you're coming together to share and having that kind of cultural connection, there may be a group out there that already exists, you know, and because of COVID, it's, I think, more normal for us to meet via Zoom. So, you know, they don't all have to be in London. They can be anywhere. And it might be really fertile in ways you can't even project into. You can't, you know, you can't guess about just being around people of similar cultural resonance. You may even explore not writing in English, but instead writing in Portuguese. I don't know if you're already doing that. Well, I'm. this was something that I wanted that I thought, you know, I'd really like to, you know, five years ago, I gave up. I stopped drinking. I stopped doing anything. Thank you. I stopped doing, so I was like, I need to do this work and I need to stop escaping. And one of my goals was to, 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 to be reading and writing in Portuguese. But one thing that I know that you'll get this is because of the Portuguese colonial past, hmm. there's a lot of unknown around, you know, like my, my parents, you know, were born into dictatorship and my great grandparents, like the, the, you know, the revolution didn't happen until the seventies. And, mm-hmm. and I remember looking at pictures of my great grandfather on my dad's side. I remember saying to my dad, where is he from? And my dad would be like, well, from Portugal. And when I was growing up, like, cause I grew up I've, in central London, all of my friends were the people that, whose parents weren't from this country. 
and we all felt safe around each other because we want the English like if you look at me oh that's the Portuguese girl but if I go to Portugal that's the English girl which is mm. crazy because I don't look English in any way but it was looking at images and going yeah I don't know anything about my family or could they have come from somewhere else or and if they did you wouldn't really share that you'd keep it really you yeah. know it's like if you were Jewish there you just didn't tell anyone you know yeah. it's all very secret you don't share anything so maybe even at some point trying to figure out some of those roots because I do think that I'm feel disconnected from my ancestors or yeah. who they are or where they came from it doesn't feel like they were just from Portugal you know right. something that I'm kind of picking up on here is that okay so one thing about what you said is I see this in my family history and I want to explore it and I am aware of like these gaps in mm-hmm. my knowledge of my own my own people but part of what I'm hearing kind of folded into that is, do I really get to own that? Like, is this really my culture to claim? Mm. And this is the same shit you put on yourself in the CPR training. Other people are here and they're learning in this specific way. And I'm not learning in this specific way. You know, what's wrong? There's this way that you have a tendency to look for the ways in which you are imperfect or maybe don't have a right or shouldn't. And again, that's your strongest feeling. It's not your most authentic feeling. It's not your, your wisest feeling. It's not your most true feeling, but it is your strongest feeling. And this trauma pattern of always looking for the strongest feeling will most of the time find you looking for the most upsetting feeling, you know, every once in a while with art and sex, you know, it'll be the the best feeling, but often it's the worst feeling. I want to name, there's the part where there's exploration of your heredity and all the things that that may or may not mean for you. But there's the other part, which is, yeah, you are who you are. You're from the family you're from. You're from the place you're from. And yes, you do not have all the answers, but your heredity, your culture, it's like, I'm not sure what the right word for it is, but it's your body. I'm talking about your body. It's yours and having ownership of it is really important for you. And I think it's kind of connected to Mars, right? Anger, passion, and ownership, embodiment. That's all Mars stuff. And that's something that I think is is scary for you, but something to lean into. So from this perspective, now say your name in Portuguese one more time. Catarina Alexandra Marques Feliciano. It's fascinating because when I am reading someone energetically, I ask for a name. That's how I see, uh, you know, and I ask for the full name. And when you say your name in English, I see all these fears and, you know, all the stuff we've been talking about. It's like right there. But when you say your name in Portuguese, I don't. It's not the first thing I see. So I, from that perspective, I want to say, I really encourage you to explore reading and writing in Portuguese, to explore this, this part of you, because it isn't just trauma. It isn't just trauma. I mean, sure. Yes. I'm not going to take that from you, but also it isn't just trauma. It's so much more. And also it's almost like when your parents immigrated to the UK and perhaps this isn't related to immigration for you, perhaps it, you're, for your family and perhaps it is, I can't tell. And I don't want to like lose the thread too much by looking at them energetically, but it's almost like they decided, okay, we're going to leave certain things behind. That's what we're doing. We're cutting these things off. And you were born in the UK. And so you were born into that, like, okay, I'm cutting these parts of myself off. And those are your parts. 
and they shouldn't be cut off. So it's about kind of inviting them back in and letting them be weird or different. I am a bit weird. Yeah, yeah you're definitely <laughs> weird. I mean, and to me, this is a compliment, but, you know, to each their own. But, you know, this kind of brings us full circle to what we're talking about, which is as a neurodivergent person, how do you participate? How do you learn? How do you engage with others, but also with your own thinking, with your own learning process? And we can see this really interesting mirror of these two issues around your cultural heritage and how you fit in in the world uh, or in London or however we want to frame it, as well as around neurodivergence and how you process data. I'm not going to say they are the same topic, but they mirror each other in such important ways. And for me, with the work that I do, whenever I see a deep theme repeat itself, I get very excited because it's like, well, the universe has got like a neon sign pointing. This is the work right here. This is the work. Self-acceptance and integration, bringing your parts back to you, inviting all of your parts into your energy body, into your personality. That's the stage you're at. And I think you're actually already doing this. Sometimes when you do it, it feels awful because now you're feeling feelings that you spent your whole life actively not feeling, not because it's bad, but because, oh shit, this is why I avoided this. Now I'm pissed. And if you do start to involve your anger and your irritation, what I want to encourage you to practice doing is to stay with it. I know, again, I talk about this a lot, but to stay with it instead of react to it. Because you're not a violent, a physically violent person. No, not, you're, you're not, you're just not. But that part of you that's like, I'm going to die. That feeling is also like, what if it's worse than that? What if I harm someone else? Like they're kind of like heads and tails of the same coin. And if you haven't expressed and experienced anger very much, you probably haven't experienced that very much. But if it starts to flow, you might be, be scared of what comes out of you. Not like you're going to physically do something, but more... It's a feeling, right? It's a survival mechanism. And so again, this is where you want to just like stay with the feeling instead of react to what your brain is telling you the content behind it is. Does that make sense? Yeah, completely. Good. Everything that you've just discussed and you've, you know, have been able to say about my chart, about me has really helped me fit everything together. If that makes sense. I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, because it is, it is all connected. Yeah. <laughs> How I learn has so much to do with even my, my feelings and what's going on. And when, when did I get cut off? Because if I can go into a new environment and take in new information that, and what that can trigger in me, that can, can be something that's just learned behavior that I can unlearn or I've been doing it for so many years. So in a way, it's like, it's kind of an incredible, simple question that's helped. You've given me answers to things that, not answers, but maybe just affirming them. Yeah. You've affirmed them for me. It's like, oh yes, I'm not going mad. Like this is, this is really helpful because it's, yeah, now I know it's okay. Because I get lost in there, you know, or, and then it's just too, too many thoughts and then too much scanning. And sometimes it's too much and then I just stop. And then I'm, and then I'm not do, I'm just not doing. I don't want to be small. I don't want to be trapped by shame anymore. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it's helping, first of all. Yeah, no, it really is. Good. Also, Pluto governs shame. So almost everything that we're talking about is just like, bing, bing. It's like hitting these specific parts of your chart, right? It's right back to the same advice I gave you around 
that class you just did, the CPR class, you know, it's like that, that wasn't important. Learning the acronyms actually wasn't important, but it felt so important because it was the only thing you weren't good at. So it became this really important thing. So had you like labeled, what is the most important thing for me to get from this class? Then you might've been like, okay, these acronyms were never on my list. So it would have been easier for you to be like, okay, I'm having feelings about not being able to keep up, but I actually already know that's not what I'm here for. It requires some like shifting in thinking and also a lot more self-acceptance, which is a practice. It's, you know, it's a practice, but that's, that's the move. Is there any final question or anything left kind of question marky for you? I'm, I'm scared. Mm. I, I think that's something that I, it feels like really important to share is this. I think I've accepted the fact that, you know, I'm kind of on my own and it's, it's okay. You know, that's like, I can do this. I'm kind of like, after so much kind of codependency and trying to untangle from that and to really be with that loneliness and, and that befriending it. And I think maybe this is where the anxiety of learning, you know, has come from, but I think I'm, I'm scared because, you know, my mom's getting on a bit and she's not great. And my brother, you know, is older and not feeling so great. Mm. I'm not married. I don't have a partner. And I think I just want to really voice that I'm really scared. How can I find, I feel like, you know, the question, I know the question, I'm just trying to find the words to say it that. I think I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I got it. So there's a couple things. The first thing is, yeah, you're scared. I'm scared. Welcome to the party. We're all fucking terrified. You know what I mean? I mean, some people aren't, but yeah, for (laughs) real. And your fear is a reflection of how much you care. It's not a reflection of something being wrong. And again, I know that fear feels bad and there's a lot of spiritual kind of truisms around like fear being, you know, what we want to avoid and they're real. And also your fear is there to protect you. You're scared of being alone. You're scared of failing. You're scared of getting it wrong or not, or making choices that are like creatively great. And maybe mean you're not making enough money or whatever it is, right? These fears are trying to keep you safe and you're actually really good at staying safe what you're trying to figure out is how to be whole and how to expand. And that means hanging out with your fears. Fear doesn't go away in life, you know, especially if you have any kind of trauma history, you know, that's again, you're, you're in a well-attended party, uh, a very well-attended club, this one. So it's not about not being scared. It's about being brave in the face of your fear, which you already are. So I want to encourage you to take whatever judgment you have about your fears out of the equation. And then you're just left with your fears and you can work on your fears. You already have made huge progress. I I know we haven't talked about that at length in our time together, but I can see that you've made massive progress over the course of your life so far. And yeah, your fears don't make your choices. I mean, sometimes they do. And then you learn from it and you come back and you make another choice. So yeah, I, I don't think there's anything it's great. It's not fun being scared, but there's nothing wrong with you being scared. And in regards to relationship, which is a whole other topic, which we can't quite get into, but I will say, I'm assuming you're single right now. Yes. Yeah. No. Congratulations. First Thank of all, you. <laughs> uh, because I, I imagine you were kind of chronically partnered or with someone in one way or another throughout your life. And you do need a break from that. So you can figure out who you are 
And from that place, it's not going to be very hard for you to find a partner. I just don't think so. I don't think it's ever been very hard for you to find a partner. Your problem is finding yourself and accepting yourself, not finding other people and accepting them. So, you know, when it comes time, whether it's to partner up or get laid, you're not going to have a terribly hard time doing that. I mean, it'll feel bad if you want something and you don't immediately have it and you have an Aries moon, that feels bad, but that doesn't make it actually inaccessible to you. Now, money is a whole other topic. <laughs> you know, uh, you've got Neptune and Uranus in the second house. So uh, you're not like naturally wonderful at managing resources when things come in. They just seem to flow right out. But you are not meant to be perfect. Capitalism should not define your value, right? And all oh, of those things, <laughs> for real, like, for real. and also, you know, you want to be able to eat and, you know, hopefully get new shoes and like do the damn things that need to be done, right? Life is about learning how to navigate choices. It's not about getting to a place where we only have good choices. It's about navigating choices. And I actually think that your nature is to um, kind of run in circles, sometimes screaming when you have a choice to make, panicking a fair amount. And then eventually you settle down and you make your fucking choices, you handle things. And so that's just a little bit of your process, right? At the end of the day, if your process is to kind of run in circles, screaming for a few hours, and then you sit down and you handle a thing, if you take the judgment out of it, can you actually make that be just part of your process? Yeah. And this again, brings us like full circle to the idea of like, not everything that feels bad is bad. Not everything that feels good is good. The truth of the matter is whether we're talking about fear or, you know, resentment or um, any of the other heavy Plutonian feelings, because Pluto's on your ascendant, you don't have the kind of luxury to separate yourself from those feelings ever. Right. And so it might feel to you that things are worse for you than they are for others. And I'm sure that's true for some people, but not for lots of others. The truth of the matter is Pluto makes us feel isolated and alone and like we're the worst, even when none of that is true. And so when those Plutonian emotions come up, the trick is to not abandon yourself. That makes all of it worse, right? Yeah. So if you're going to bounce, don't, don't do that to yourself. Don't abandon yourself. A kind of like last bit of homework. If you've never read Donna Cunningham's book called Healing Pluto Problems. No, I, okay, love, well. it. I love it when you reference books. <laughs> oh, good. So, so um, I was like, yes, a book. Book nerds, unite. Uh, yeah, Donna Cunningham has a book called Healing Pluto Problems, and it is spectacular. It's such a great book. Everyone with strong Pluto placements should have this book. Uh, so get it read it, reread it. You will love, you will love it. It'll really, really help. And you don't really need to go out and get lots of new information or like even tons of new tools. It's about slowing down and giving yourself the space to actually reference and use the tools you already have. Um, you're not behind schedule. You're just not. I know that's interwoven in all of your questions. It's like, Am I behind schedule? Why am I behind schedule? Will I ever catch up? You didn't say that, but I feel like that's kind of what, yeah. Yeah. You're not behind schedule at all. You're exactly where you are and there's no other place for you to be. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been really such a pleasure. And also I, I hope this isn't weird, but send my love to your brother as well. Yeah, no, I will. And everything that you've 
you've given me so much I don't think well you know but I was gonna say you don't even realize but you've really really helped me thank you it is so my pleasure I'm so happy we got to do this thank you so much for doing this with me it's been really lovely COVID-19 is raging again and healthcare workers need our support Consider donating to Emotional PPE at emotionalppe.org. They're an organization that provides any worker in healthcare impacted by COVID-19 free mental health services with licensed therapists. Another way you can help is by donating to your local general hospital's spiritual care department and to earmark that donation for staff support. Give what you can. Let's get astrological, my damn loves. We're going to hop into the horoscope in just a second here. But I want to say, if you missed my Plants and Planets class, Boundary Allies, last weekend, you don't need to be sad because you can still get that class and the very uh, informative and cute zine that me and Rachel Buddy have created over on my website at lovelignato.com. It's always linked in the show notes. And there are other classes there. Uh, but certainly Boundary Allies was a real chef's kiss experience. I really loved it. And I want to thank everyone who showed up to that class. Uh, probably my favorite part was sharing energy work exercises. I'm really into sharing this stuff, which is not what I've done for the bulk of my career is sharing energy work with the world. And that's also something I'm doing a lot more on my Patreon, you know, talking about how to work with energy in practical, user-friendly ways. And yeah, you know, I'm really into it. I don't want to blow your mind, but I'm pretty damn woo. We're in eclipse season. And as you probably know, eclipses always happen in pairs. And the first of the two eclipses is happening on the last day of April. But, you know, on the 16th, we had a full moon. And that is the last lunation before the eclipse. So emotions are running high. This may land in so many different ways for you, depending on what's going on in your life and your birth chart, etc. But it's an emotional time. And so I want to, before we get into details of the horoscope this week, gently pull your attention to the question of how are you embodying empathy? How are you embodying empathy in your inner landscape, in your relationship to yourself? When emotions get kind of keyed up, we can find ourselves unconsciously reverting back to old emotional patterns, you know, reiterating stories that we've always told ourselves, or just feeling ways that we, when we pull back, know aren't necessarily healthy or productive, but we're, we're like in an old pattern, right? So how are you embodying empathy for however that may show up in your innermost personal life? And how are you expressing empathy for others? for the world at large, for individuals that you engage with. How does that show up in your life? You know, we're not just dealing with lots of moon energy with this eclipse season, but there's also big shifts at play from the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction. How we articulate care and how we show up and express our humanity in our actions are really big themes right now. Essentially, what, what I'm talking about is the integration of your spiritual values in your daily life, right? And so ask yourself these questions this week and moving forward. Return to, am I empathetic? Do I care about being empathetic towards others, towards myself? 
If the answer is, I don't know or no, ask yourself if you want others to be empathetic towards you, because it is on each of us as individuals to be the change we want to see in the world, to show up with care and kindness. And, you know, it really helps when we do that for ourselves. It's kind of like if you fuck with the tarot, as I do, uh, how cups cards, which are the cards that represent emotions and care and empathy, some of those cups cards, you see the cups just overflowing and filling up everything around it. And sometimes it doesn't. That's a lot like life. We want ideally to have a relationship to ourselves, which is healthy enough, that is kind enough, that it can overflow. And it doesn't necessarily take from our wellness to be kind, empathetic, and generous towards others, right? That's, that's the goal. That's the, that's the path. So check in where you're at with it this week and again, moving forward. Okay, let's get into the details of your horoscope. On the 17th, we've got two exact transits. The first one is a Mercury sextile to Venus. Now this transit is lovely. It facilitates socializing and connection. I'm talking about interpersonal connection, uh, can be romantic connection, and certainly creative connection. So it's a great transit, and it's not especially spectacular. It happens quite frequently, and its energies are really dynamic and useful, but you kind of got to make use of them. You have to go out of your way to try to connect with people, to try to be receptive when others connect with you, to enjoy creativity or to, you know, actually like bust out your sketchbook or bust out your favorite music. And, you know, remember how fun it is to, to play air guitar like a damn hero. An infusion of fun and play and connection can go a really long way in life. So don't underestimate it, my friends. Now, at the same time on the same day, we have got a conjunction between Mercury and Uranus in the zodiac sign of Taurus. And Mercury conjoined to Uranus is kind of a mixed bag. Some people really will love this energy and some people will really dislike it. Uh, it, it really kind of depends on, on how you are. So Mercury and Uranus are the two planets related to our minds, right? They are both related to our nerves and our minds. And when they meet up, it can spark and trigger mental anxiety, hyperstimulation, and agitation. It can just as easily trigger inventiveness, curiosity, uh, a willingness to explore and enough kind of electricity in the air to inspire you to perceive things differently and to make new kinds of connections. This transit is very exciting. But that excitement can feel upsetting. It's a destabilizing transit, which can reveal things to you in your friendships that you didn't necessarily want to see. Uh, things can come at you from kind of left field and throw you off or surprise you. This is a terrible time for gossiping, not because gossiping won't seem fun for you, but because secrets told may come back at the person who you're, you know, betraying their trust. And you also just may not have facts. You know, when we have Mercury and Uranus together, people tend to jump to conclusions and make connections based on impulse instead of data. So the best thing to do is to pace yourself through uh, your reactions. In particular, if you have a really strong knee-jerk reaction to information, 
people often feel really awkward and weird with this Uranian energy so close to Mercury. And so if people are acting awkward and weird with you, try not to take it personally. You know, it's a lot of weird energy in the in the mix. And also people may react in ways that you find mystifying to what you're saying or doing. And again, you know, that might be any number of things, but you want to kind of give it space if you can. Uranus and Mercury can both be a little impatient. Now, Taurus, on the other hand, is a fixed earth sign. So it wants things to move really slowly and steadily. So again, there's a kind of real discomfort in this energy and this discomfort can be fertile ground. It can also really just feel destabilizing and like you don't know what's happening or how to handle it. Uranus is a planet that governs electricity, literally. And so there's a way that this transit can interrupt your focus. So it's not a great time for doing something that requires a great deal of concentration, basically. But it is a great time for doing something that requires innovation and open-mindedness. This is a powerful time for changing your mind, for being open to changing your mind at the very least, for connecting with new friends, uh, trying new approaches, all that kind of good stuff. It's a creative transit, but socially and mentally, it can be quite disruptive. So, you know, it's hard to be interested in our thoughts when we're thinking them without being really intentional about it. But this is a great time for doing that being interested in uh, the tempo of your thoughts and the kind of content of them and not rest on assumptions, assumptions you may hold about yourself or about the world around you. Plans uh, or connections made under this transit are not reliably stable, which doesn't mean that they won't work out for you. It just means you want to wait until this transit is out of influence before you, you know, sign any contracts if possible or make any permanent decisions. Be in the moment. Try to be really present and interested in whatever it is that's coming up for you internally or in your life. And, you know, don't assume that anything is going to stick that comes up now. And that might be good news or bad news. Who knows? It's, it's unique to you. Now, one last thing I'll say about this transit it can stir anxiety. So not per se a fear-based form of anxiety, but more of an overstimulation. So if you're somebody who drinks too much coffee or consumes too many stimulants through soda or whatever else, this is a good time to lay off, honestly, you know, honestly, all week, but certainly on and around the 17th or 18th, depending on, you know, what coast you're on, where in the world you are, when this transit is exact. Because having a racing mind can be a consequence of this transit. And if you are also on top of it taking stimulants and, you know, feeling really racy anyways, that can end up making you feel pretty shitty. So, you know, take care of yourself in whatever way seems uh, best suited to your needs, my friend. Now, on the 18th, we also have two exact transits. And much like on the 17th, we got a soft pitch and a hardball. These are sports metaphors, I believe, for baseball. I am not a sports person, but I do find that I enjoy the occasional sports metaphor, and I just felt like I should share that. Okay, so on the 18th, Venus is sextile to Uranus. This makes sense for any astrology student paying attention, right? Because on the 17th, Mercury formed an exact sextile to Venus and Mercury conjoined Uranus. So it makes sense that the next day Venus would form an exact sextile to Uranus. So Venus sextile Uranus. 
It's a lovely transit. It is wonderful for fostering social connection, creative connection, playing with your look, having fun flirting with people or just exploring uh, what you like and how you like it. And you can apply that to, you know, aesthetics, to your value systems, or to the part of your life that is sexy and romantic. Venus sextile Uranus, much like Mercury sextile Venus, is not necessarily spectacular in its results in the context of the sun square to Pluto or the Mercury conjunction to Uranus. So if this sounds delicious to you, this Venus sextile Uranus, you're going to have to go out of your way to access these energies by bringing playfulness and experimentation to your connections with other people, to your relationship, to your body, to aesthetics, to your finances. This is a great transit for exploring and experimenting, right? Not setting things in stone. And again, unfortunately, not for concentration or focus. It's more playful than that. Now, we are still very much feeling the Mercury conjunction to Uranus. So this can be a great time for social connection. The big but, because you know I have a but here. The but is that on this same day, we have a sun square to Pluto. The sun is in Aries and it is square to Pluto in Capricorn. And this transit is difficult and we will be feeling it on the 17th, 18th and 19th, but it is exact on the 18th. And that transit is exact at 8.14 a.m. Pacific time. Okay, so sun square to Pluto is an intense transit. It can trigger uh, defensiveness, power struggles, resentments. It's a difficult transit and it can make us feel a little desperate. This is because it can stimulate or trigger deep psychological or emotional issues. Pluto is related to trauma. It is related to our survival mechanisms. And so when things get submerged and then we get a Pluto transit, uh, yeah, it tends to bring it to the surface and often in ways that we're not super conscious of or ways that don't quite make sense to us or take us by surprise. This is where having a relationship with yourself becomes really important so that you don't invest in your maladjusted coping mechanisms, but instead try to become aware of them so that you can respond to them in ways that reflect, you know, the adult you've become. Oftentimes, as I said, with this transit, we undergo power struggles. You may find yourself obsessing on what someone does or doesn't have, but I want to say that's a reflection on you and your issues and your triggers. Don't focus on someone else, especially someone who actually doesn't matter to you personally, isn't actually someone in your life. Instead, try to be interested in and to work on what it is that is triggering you and how your thoughts and feelings are working, right? You may also find that you are in a power struggle with someone who actually has power and authority over you. I'm talking landlords, bosses, uh, you know, hospitals, that kind of shit. And in that case, you know, depending on what's going on, you may really need to identify and advocate for your rights, or you may need to identify that you'll have more power if you let it go, or a million different things in between. But in any case, it's important that you identify your agency and you understand that whatever choices you're making, no matter how shitty your options are, that the choice you're making is the best one that you can see fit to make at this time, right? Often under Sun-Pluto square, we end up having to fight one way or another. 
And that is difficult at best, right? But what we want to be able to do is make sure that we're fighting for something that actually matters to us instead of engaging from our most base, petty instincts. And Pluto can get pretty damn petty. So, you know, try not to be petty because it really just eats at your own fucking soul more than it does any damage to anyone else. If you've got a personal relationship where there's some sort of struggle or a need to confront things, you might not be able to avoid dealing with it on this date. Uh, but if you're going to fight, fight fair. If you've got shit to say, make sure you say it in a responsible way and you don't just like barf out all your thoughts and feelings. Because once you put a thing out there, it cannot be taken back, right? And Pluto tends to function like a boomerang. What you put out there comes back at you. So treat others as you wish to be treated engage with integrity. It doesn't always have to be clean. It doesn't always have to be easy, but engage with integrity. Now, in the context of the world around us, this transit can signify major drama, right? This can be uh, in the context of war, in the context of people with power choosing to use that power to abuse, restrict, limit, or harm others. Yeah, we might see some real shitty stuff around this transit. And when we see injustice in the world, it is, from my perspective anyways, it is on us as people of conscience to say, all right, if that fucked up thing is happening, if this unjust thing is happening, that's the assignment. Now I need to advocate for work towards righting this wrong in whatever small or large way that I am capable. When we come to a state of acceptance of how things are, even unjust, unfair, and fucked up things, when we come to acceptance of how things are, we are better empowered on all the levels to do what needs to be done to change it or to cope with it, right? So whenever we're dealing with Pluto, we can struggle with acceptance. And that's why I want to remind you to check in with whether or not you are able to accept things as they are as a foundation for being able to change them or cope with them, whatever it is that is best suited to your moment. Now. On the 19th, the sun moves into Taurus. You know me. I'm not the astrologer who's going to focus on uh, solar seasons that much. But as the sun moves into Taurus, and we know that on the 30th, we have a solar eclipse in Taurus, I can just kind of uh, gently predict for you that this Taurus season is going to be an intense one. And so I want to remind you about the connection between the zodiac sign of Taurus and the principle of values. Again, this is a great time for checking in with and revisiting how you are or are not living in accordance with your values. Check in with it so that you can make adjustments as needed, or maybe you just need to feel good about yourself because you're doing a great damn job. You're doing a great job. Okay, Sun and Taurus, the end. On the 21st, there's the last transit I want to tell you about. The nodes, the south and north node, are forming a square to Saturn. I don't actually talk about the nodes very much uh, in transit. I felt really compelled to name this particular transit or these transits because it may stimulate a sense of inertia or a sense of uh, kind of motivation for making plans, creating structure. And this is related to big picture stuff, big picture stuff in the world. So we're talking about world events. But it's also related to big picture stuff in terms of how you organize your relationship to reality, uh, responsibility, that kind of heavy stuff. And in the context of what we have going on 
from the moon and and all the other transits I've talked to you about, I think this particular transit is going to have a meaningful impact. So I just wanted to kind of like put that little bee in your bonnet. So when it starts buzzing, you can be like, oh yeah, that's, that's a damn bee in my bonnet. So that's all the exact transits of this week. That said, we are going to be feeling uh, towards the end of the month, a transit that will be exact on the 24th. And it's an exact square between Mercury and Saturn. And I want to name it because it can lead to depressive thinking, a sense of kind of like scarcity based thinking, uh, and can be difficult for friendships. And so while at the start of the week, we've got all this Uranian energy, which is very exciting and stimulating, we've got this Plutonian energy, which is bringing up triggers and deep kind of roiling emotions. Then we have Mercury squaring Saturn, which is just kind of a boner killer. And so it's a bit of a roller coaster out here. If you're feeling it, I want to just I want to say, yeah, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. To the best of your ability, I want to encourage you to not waste too much energy on why is this happening? And instead, step into how can I respond to this energy? How can I respond to these emotions? What do I need right now? And how can I rise to the occasion? Right? It's the most constructive way to engage with this energy. And hey, listen, we're all humans. We're all doing our damn best. And it's easy to forget to do the healthiest thing in the presence of our strong emotions. Now, my loves, I'm going to run through the transits again, because there were quite a few. On the 17th, we have an exact sextile between the planets Mercury and Venus. On that same date, Mercury forms an exact conjunction to Uranus in Taurus. On the 18th, Venus forms an exact sextile to Uranus, and the Sun forms an exact square to Pluto. On the 19th, it's Taurus season. Welcome, bitches. On the 21st, we have uh, an exact square from both the South and North nodes to the planet Saturn. And we are going to be feeling towards the end of the week that Mercury square to Saturn, which won't be exact until next week on the 24th. And that's your damn horoscope. I hope that you use this information to empower you to engage with the energies and emotions of your life in a healthy way and to understand, of course, that your wellness is interwoven with the wellness of others. So if you have a chance to show up for others, to show up in the world, take it, you know, take it. Tend to your heart. Be gentle with yourself and others if you can. And yeah, I know I say that frequently, but, you know, from my perspective, the cultivation of emotional maturity, emotional accountability is the foundation to a life well lived. It's foundational to spiritual health, and it's also foundational to psychological health. Cultivating emotional wellness, emotional maturity is a slow slog of a process. It requires work that other people can't see and can't necessarily weigh in on. And that tends to be hard in a world that's so outward facing. So, you know, that heart of yours, it's a part worth embracing and protecting. And I hope you're doing that this week and every damn week. And when others are doing it with you, have a little respect, you know, because we're all doing our best on our damn paths. Now, as always, if you get value from Ghost of a Podcast, I invite you to send me a question over at ghostofapodcast.com. Maybe I'll give you a call and we'll do a damn reading. Wouldn't that be fun? Uh, also, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to this podcast. It is a great and kind thing you can do for any of your 
favorite podcasts and certainly for me. And if you haven't already given this show five stars and written a kind review, I invite you to. All right. Thank you for joining me for the 255th episode of Ghost of a Podcast. Haven't missed a week yet. And I will talk to you, my loves, next week. Bye-bye. Every year they say the end is near. But we're still here. Yeah, we're still here.